freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Wire, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Oh, man. Some people get it. Some people don't. Give me more. Give me more. Mike's utter disdain for the Yankees fan base is a thing of beauty. There are a few things that warm my sports heart more. Keep on keeping on. Thank you, 509. Another from the 509, though, goes the other direction. So I didn't feel the urge to punch my dashboard when you were talking about the Yankees. I was actually jealous that they have a media that demands excellence. Seattle media is so dang soft on these guys, especially the Mariners, because they're nice, likable players. We need to demand way more from our ownership, GM and players. There's a difference. You're, you're, you're missing the subtle difference. I'm not disagreeing with you. Seattle media is fairly soft. I've probably gotten softer in my old age, too. Mm-hmm. I understand that. I'm not disagreeing with that part of it. But the difference. But you got to understand, it's not about accountability for the Yankees and the people in New York. It's not that. It goes beyond accountability. Yes, there is some of that. But you're missing the subtle difference of, we're not the Royals. We're the Yankees. That, that, to me, is what sets it apart. There's no need for the Royals to catch strays in your belief in your own superiority. Sure. That you're ordained to be. That, that it's just supposed to be it's from destiny. For you. Yeah. That's the difference. We're not some pathetic Royals. We're the Yankees. I just, it's I don't just know, man. It's on, I, I guess. I can't, I can't go down that road. I really can't. I understand what you're saying. I, I don't disagree. Yes, we, we probably need more accountability in this town, myself included. But that's different from a belief that you are supposed to be there and, and, and automatically deserve to be there ahead of everybody else because of who you are, not what you've done. Yeah, the 45 just said expectations versus entitlement. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's an entitlement that I don't, I, I, I can't get with. Yeah. Expectations, yes. And in such a cavalier arrogance. Yes. I, I just, and, and with the accent, it just, it all just, it's one. <laughs> accent, it's just yeah. one. And I just, I know too many damn people. I know too many yep. New Yorkers. This is your point earlier. If we're playing, if you're reading the Kelnick quote, you'd be like, yeah, okay, that sounds about right. But when you when hear it reading in the, the voice. Yankee quote, sure, they'd say that. <laughs> but now when I hear it in the voice. Yes. I'm like flexing Ugh. and balling my fist. Gosh, there are. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I've explained this before, but for those that don't know what it's like growing up in the Northeast and why the rivalries are more intense there. Uh, and by the way, they should be that. That is my favorite thing about the Northeast. I'm glad I don't live there. I have no intention to ever live there again. Uh, it, it's not a culture that I'm particularly interested in spending my life around all the time. But. One thing the Northeast has over anywhere else I've lived, and, you know, that's sort of three corners of this country, is is true rivalry. True rivalry. Mm-hmm. And we got some of it here. I'm not saying Seattle and San Francisco. Like, there's some sure. decent rivalry, but, but it's the, not the same. No, and it's and the reason is it, The reason is yeah. when you go to work here in Seattle on a Friday, right, Blue Friday, as it were, how many people in your office are wearing Seahawks? Virtually everybody. Mm-hmm. You might have one stray Niner fan who's like cowering in the corner. Somebody who's a Cowboys fan because their parents didn't raise them right. Right. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, you might get a couple of those other folks around. I get it. It's fine. Yeah. 
But for the most part, 80, 90% of your office, maybe more, is probably, you know, either a Seahawks fan or could care less about sports. When you go to work or school or whatever the case may be in Boston, New York, Philadelphia, D.C., etc., there's everybody. There's New Yorkers that have migrated to your town. There's Bostonians. There's Philadelphians, whatever they call themselves, right? Mm, Washingtonian. Like, they're everywhere. And you got Mets fans and Phillies fans and Yankees fans and Red Sox fans. And guess what? Every time their team does something good, they're all ready to rub it right in your face. Yep. And so the hatred you have for those fans and how it makes you feel turns into a legitimate rivalry. Real legitimate rivalry. I, I mean, all I can tell you is in the 90s and 2000s, when you would be at a, you know, a Bruins game or a Patriots game or whatever, people would chant Yankees suck because of their hatred for New York. <laughs> because it's just how they felt. It was, a, it was, the, it was the expression of an ethos mm-hmm. more than a statement of fact. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to imagine how that could ever truly happen here. Just because of the geographic isolation of Seattle and how you just aren't faced with that many people on a day-to-day basis that drive you insane because of the way they root for their other team. Yeah, I lived with a guy who was like was like that. He said, over time, I see like I started hating the other teams more than I started enjoying and rooting for my own. He's like, and that's when I realized it was unhealthy for me and I needed to get out. It's true. <laughs> 206 says, uh, also, the Royals have won the World Series six years more recently than the anointed Yankees. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you, 206. Yes. Thank you for uh, for pointing that out. So clearly you've never experienced Seattle versus Portland in soccer. You're right. I, I don't see a that lot of people. I, I don't know. Are there Timbers fans here yeah, yeah, in our yeah. building? In our oh, building. Not, probably not in our building. No, I don't think so. I don't know any Timbers fans. Yeah. I do. I, I know Sounders fans. Do know I don't know Timbers fans living here in Seattle. I don't know about that. I'm not saying they don't exist, but mm-hmm. I don't see their gear everywhere. Mm-hmm. Dude, you walk around the streets in every northeastern city. You see Yankees gear everywhere. Heck, you walk around the streets. When I was in Australia, New Zealand five years ago, there's Yankees hats everywhere you go. Ugh. (laughs) 425 wants to know if this is a counseling session for Mike and his hatred for the East Coast sports because he's all for it. There are some things I love for the East Coast sports. As I said, I I love the rivalry. Right. What it embodies is great. I love how much people care. Of course, man. I wish that there was more of that in Seattle. Honestly, I do. There is such a, a, a devotion to the teams. And one of the major differences, just from a sports radio perspective, just from my own work perspective, one of the great things about radio and media in, in the Northeast is when the teams lose, the ratings don't go down. Guys, when the Seahawks and Mariners lose, our ratings go down and I lose money. Mm-hmm. Why did I become a Mariner fan? I just had somebody ask me about this the other day. So you're not a Boston fan anymore? No. How did you become a Mariners fan? How did you become a Seahawks fan? Because I got the equivalent of a ton of money bet on them every night. Because I want to make a bonus now and again. Because I like when our ratings go up instead of down. And you guys won't listen when the teams lose. So now I'm rooting for them like my life depends on it. Because I want to support my family. Sure. I would also have to imagine that being that geographically close, and you can know this for sure, some of those signals probably cross over, too. Oh, sure. I mean, my my wife's from Connecticut. What do you think Connecticut is? It it is like uh, the demilitarized zone. It's like in the middle. (laughs) Right. Right? If you're 860, you're probably a Red Sox fan. If you're 203, you're probably a Yankees fan. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Man, Connecticut, like you meet somebody from Connecticut, like, oh, Red Sox or Yankees. Like it's a it's a question that you ask somebody. Got it. Giants or Patriots. Like it's 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 the DMZ between these two warring factions. Well well now you did it again. You were gonna see we were gonna be talking about the 49ers here for for a minute and no, I'm sorry. went off the I got, I get, dis- I get distracted again. again. I get distracted again. But seriously, I I, I, I do like that uh, you know, I like the passion. Yeah, I like I like the I mean, way they are willing to dig into a loss. I like that they don't run away from a loss. And they got a lot more media there. I got to say, I'm bummed out today. I haven't even gotten to this. I don't know if I'm going to get to tomorrow. Tomorrow's Wednesday, Thursday. Joe Fan's going to join us a day early. He's going to join us on Thursday because I'm out on Friday. Get my colonoscopy. I keep telling people that. Oh, not because I'm proud of it, but because I want to remind everybody that this is something you need to do when you hit my age 45. Sure, and that's another reminder that you're getting old. Yes, but I'm really bummed out that Joe's leaving this business. And part yeah. of the reason why is it's just not en- there's not enough. There's not enough work in this business. Not enough. There's not enough spots. Stinks. Joe's super talented. I love having him on this show. I love arguing with him. I love how opinionated he is. I love that he's a great writer, reporter, thoughtful, cares, passionate, etc. Joe's got so many great things going for him. And the fact that he didn't have a gig in this business stinks. And I get it. He's moved to another city, and now he kind of wants to, you know, he's going in another direction. He's happy with his relationship. He'll tell you more about it on Thursday when he comes on. But that stinks. Joe should be a smashing success. He never should have had to move to another city. He should have been here with, with five job offers. It's too bad. And before you start saying, Salk, why didn't you hire him? I wasn't in, I wasn't in management anymore. And by the way, like, you can't just create, even if I was, you can't just create spots. Please, somebody text in. Salk, fire yourself so you can have Joe Fan on the air. I'm just, I'm waiting for the text. I know it's coming. Anyway, I feel bad. I love Joe, and I'm glad he's happy. He seems to be really excited about the direction he's going in. Yeah. But it's a bummer for our business to lose people like him because he is uh, really good at what he does, and he's brought a lot to the table. Be right back with everything you need to know. KJ Wright is in the building coming up in just over a half hour. It's Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Mariners back into the road, and this one's not going to be easy. They put themselves in a position where their margin for error has certainly been eaten up quite a bit. New York for three, Baltimore for three more. Two teams that are ahead of them in the wild card standings. New York actually tied right now for that last spot. They're just three games ahead of Seattle. It'll be Kirby. Castillo and then Wu for your three in New York. So they'll throw their two best against the Yankees. Of course, it was last year there that Castillo first showed how dominant he could be. The Mariners really started that playoff push. You might remember that game matched up with Garrett Cole and they just torched him early, right? Suarez, Santana, Kelnick all homered in the first inning. I think they hit another home run later in that game as well. Today it'll be... Garrett Cole once again. So the Mariners looking for a similar outcome this time, though, with George Kirby on the hill. How do you do it? Well, you've got to find a way to beat the best, and that means playing your game. you got to let the pitcher come to you. Uh, and, you know, you guys, you know, we've had kind of this struggle throughout the course of the year is, you know, want to get the big hit. You want to get the big, you know, the, the, the big knock to, to drive in the winning run or whatever. And sometimes you then get away from uh, your swing decisions and you start swinging at some pitches out of the zone because you are a little anxious. So um, can't fault early in the game. We've been doing exactly what we're talking about doing, getting the pressure on the starter. But ultimately, 
you know, you got to have those those quality at bats uh, with guys in scoring position. Yeah, he's right. They have done some of it better. He, they have. We talked about it last week, right? There have been some better at bats. There has been a better emphasis on getting the pitcher out of the game. There has been those moments where they've shown the approach. But taking advantage in the clutch key spots once you've done all of the work to get there is just as important. And we saw that yesterday or Sunday, right? That's what made Sunday's win, at least from an offensive perspective, better. Right? When you had the opportunity, Julio came up with a big hit. Kelna came up with a big hit. That was important. That's the other side of what Stelton was saying earlier about 18 strikeouts against you know, a, a guy like Lance Lynn who didn't come in hot. You took advantage in the moments where you needed to. Keep doing that, and you're probably going to be okay long term. Here's the second thing you well, need to know. And meanwhile, the American League has not raced as far away from you as you might have thought. A couple of weeks ago, we were saying it's gone, it's tough, everyone is playing great. Today, it's come back to earth. The Yankees, Rays, Blue Jays, and Astros have lost a combined 14 straight games. That's right. Texas has cooled off. I know they've won a few in a row, but Texas has cooled off as well. The Yankees are missing Aaron Judge. The Astros are all kinds of injured, and they're going to play without Jordan Alvarez here for a while. The Blue Jays have not been particularly great. The point I'm trying to make is that while the Mariners have not played up to their expectation at all, nor their potential, they're not the only team in the league. They're not. There are other teams, and some of them go through struggles as well. By the way, some of those teams have left the door still wide open for you, despite the Mariners' best attempts to walk into the door jam. They've left the door open for you. You're not toast. Now you got to go take advantage. You're three games back in the wild card, three against the team ahead of you. That's the Yankees, who are playing without Aaron Judge. Go take advantage. You got Baltimore after that, and then a lousy Washington team at home. I know you got to play a lot of good teams here between now and the All-Star break and, quite frankly, for the rest of this season, but the opportunities are there if you can play well enough to take advantage of them. Here's the third thing you need to know. All right, draft, uh, NHL draft right around the corner. Free agency will be right after that. And, uh, by the way, the MLB draft is going to be soon after that. So a lot of uh, youth infusion into our sports community here in Seattle. Um, I liked an article I read yesterday from Rob Simpson, Seattle Hockey Insider, suggested the Kraken might want to consider trading a goalie and then drafting another goalie uh, this year. By the way, I totally agree. Martin Jones, a free agent. I would assume he's gone. Chris Drieger's been all kinds of injured and spent most of this year as a backup in Coachella. Joey Decord, who was the starter in Coachella, has been awesome, and uh, he may be ready for a primetime experience now after a great run in the AHL playoffs. So if it were me, I'd sure be considering trading Philip Grubauer. I've said this before, and I'm sticking by it. I don't know what the market is. He does have some money on that contract. He's not young, but if there is a team out there that thinks he is the difference to putting them over the edge, you know, over the top as a championship contender after what he did in the playoffs this year, reminding everybody what he was capable of, yeah, I'd probably sell high. If that's not available and if it turns out teams just really aren't that interested, okay, fine. It's not like you're in a bad spot with Grubauer, but if you had the opportunity to add more especially high-end talent, I think I'd probably be looking to do it. This is, or that is, everything you need to know. Whew, we do that quarter past every hour here uh, on the Brock and Salk Show. Just thinking about this because it's curbing cold tonight, yeah. Yes. Uh, last, so when the Yankees were in town, the only game the Mariners won was that Kirby start where he went eight deep. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about how it was different pitching against the team that you grew up rooting for. Oh, yeah. Now he's going to be in that building. In that building. Yeah. And you dominated. He threw eight innings. I think he struck out seven or eight. Yep. 
And then we went in extras. Oh, that was the walk-off. So we didn't actually end up getting the win. Who right? was, is it Justin Topa, who I think also grew up a Yankees fan? I got to remember what he told me. I think he said he was also a Yankee fan growing up. That sounds right. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. for, for a lot of folks and a lot of baseball players, going and playing in those stadiums is big. And I know it's not old Yankee Stadium, but it, it is, you know, it's a still Yankee Stadium. gross representation of it. <laughs> and and uh, it is meaningful. And their families and friends and playing on that, you know, stage where they've seen so many games, et cetera. Yeah, it's 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 great. Yeah. And did you see Alex games- Cora, by the way, Justin, did you see Alex Cora complaining this week about how the Red Sox and Yankees are, t- are on national TV too much? No, yeah, he, he was. did not. In a good way. He's like, man, no, he was like, why is it always us? I mean, I'm sure there's some selfishness of like, man, I don't want to play every Sunday night and then have to travel for the next day. Right. But also he's like, and there's other good teams. Mm -hmm. Why don't we get a chance to see them all on national broadcasts? Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate answer is there's just not as much national interest well, in those as, teams. As we speak right now, we have uh, MLB Network on in, this, in the studio, and Jared Kelnick's on MLB Central right as we speak. He's on TV. Who he's, is? The Jared Kelnick. Right now? He's being interviewed right now. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. <laughs> they're getting, they're getting a little... This is shocking. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Uh, we're going to do things a little differently today. KJ Wright's going to be in at 745. He's going to do Blue 88. He'll stick around for the whole 8 o'clock hour. And so with that in mind, Jeff Passon was kind enough to move a little earlier. So we will talk to Jeff next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710salesports.com. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our roll along here, Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710salesports.com. KJ Wright will be here in 15 minutes. He'll do some Blue 88 with us and then stick around for the entirety of the 8 o'clock hour. It's always great when KJ is in the building and we haven't caught up with him for a while, so we got all sorts of good stuff to talk about with him. Uh, with that in mind, our good friend, Jeff Passan, was kind enough to uh, jump a little earlier today. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am great, Mike. How are you? Uh, we're doing fantastic. Brock's out. KJ's coming in. So thanks for being flexible. I really appreciate it. Um, we've kind of talked about the American League, and it was not that long ago we were saying it was kind of getting away from the Mariners a little bit. And all of a sudden, you look up today. Yeah, they're eight and a half back in the division, but they're only three back in the wild card. The Yankees, Blue Jays, almost everybody, it seems, except the Orioles and to a lesser extent, the Rangers have kind of moved in the wrong direction here recently. The Yankees are terrible right now. I mean, just horrendous. Like, their offense, uh, since Aaron Judge got hurt, has been absolutely dreadful. The Blue Jays have just, the Blue Jays are the team, to me, that are the most like the Mariners this year. They are more talented than their record indicates, but it just feels like they are always treading water. And, and is that is that not a, an apt description you think for the M's this year? Just treading water. Yeah, I said almost those it, exact it, words earlier. They're sort of they're sort of idling. Yeah, yeah. They're they're just like a boat that's in neutral, and you're just waiting for them to kick it into gear. But it's like they need to go to the gas station first. There's no fuel there. There, there's just there's no internal combustion going on to propel them forward. And I, I don't get it. Like the, this team is this team is the worst kind of team for fans to watch because it's confusing as to why they're not better than they actually are. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was funny. You know, watching the Mariners show, they've won four of their last six. They played great against Miami and took down, you know, beat them two out of three. Probably could have won the third game in that series as well, honestly. I mean, they played well and just unfortunately had a few balls get hung up in the Marine layer. And then Chicago comes to town and they win two out of three, but it just. I don't know. It's weird when you win games that don't look right. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> what's, what's an example of that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, two of the three against Chicago, or you're just like, you know, you strike out 18 times against Lance Lynn and a couple of relievers, and you find a way to win the game, which is great because you pitch great, and, you know, Bryce Miller was fantastic again, but 18 strikeouts against the 36-year-old Lance Lynn? Yeah, I mean, Lance Lynn, was, uh, he punched 16 and in seven innings, right? Yes. Yeah, you don't you don't see that very often, <laughs> and and you you especially don't see it against a guy who just throws fastballs because that's what Lance, like Lance Lynn's entire repertoire at sinker, four seamer, cutter, pretty much, and so you're either getting a fastball that's going straight, that's breaking in, or that's breaking out. And that, but, uh, you know, it, there's, there's no excuses if you look at Lance Lynn's line for the rest of the season so far. Right. To be getting punched out 16 times by him. So are we learning any more about the market? Our, our friend Morosi was on the station late last week and said he thought maybe the Mariners would buy and sell at the same time. He talked about maybe dealing Teoscar Hernandez if he continues to hit. And by the way, he has picked it up over the last couple of weeks. Yes, he has. What, uh, what, what is the market starting to look like? Um, it's slow moving at this point. And, and I think it's slow moving as much because of the standings as anything. I, I mean, let's, let's just look at the American league. Like, um, you know, you talk about the Mariners being only three and a half back of the wild card. If we're basing things just on the wild card right now, um, if you look in the American league, there are, uh, I don't know if you want to put Cleveland in there, but at the bottom, I would say you've got the Mariners. They're three back. Red Sox, a game and a half back. Blue Jays, a game back. Astros, a half game back. And then you've got the Yankees, Orioles, uh, and Angels all ahead of them. I mean, that leaves only five teams in the American League that are not in the wild card race. You could probably throw Cleveland in there at five and a half back, even though they're five games under 500. So, But they're only a couple only of games four. back in the division. So e- e- exactly. even if you don't consider them in the wild card, they're still right there. Yeah. And, and if you look in the division too, um, I, I don't think Detroit's in the race. I don't think the White Sox are in the race. But if you're either of those teams, you can make a semi-reasonable argument, particularly if you're the White Sox and – Jerry Reinsdorf just does not want to sell. Uh, and then you go to the National League, and it's the same exact thing. Even the St. Louis Cardinals, who are 13 games under 500, they have won three consecutive games, and they're in a National League Central division that's currently being led by a Cincinnati Reds team that, if you recall last year, looked like the worst team you've ever seen for the first month of the season. I mean, they were I think they were 3-22 and to start off. And so at the bottom, you've got the nationals and the Rockies and everyone else. Are the Mets really going to sell? Uh, are the Cubs at this point, as close as they are really going to sell? Um, probably uh, the pirates, you know, they've lost seven in a row. So they are three games under now, but it's tough to sell after you've gotten the start that they had. Padres aren't selling um, brewers. 
probably not at this point. Like, I just, uh, the reason my, the market hasn't started is because so few teams right now look like they're going to be selling. And the ones that are, honestly, don't have a ton of inventory. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely and and we've had these conversations in the last few years. I mean, I feel like that's a, a carbon copy of the conversation we had last year about this same time. I mean, there were a couple of teams, and obviously the Mariners went big in on Luis Castillo and got him from the Reds, mm-hmm. but there, there just aren't. It was sort of the same problem last year. So, all right, flip it around. If the Mariners decide, all right, we're going to sell or buy and sell or whatever. What does a market look like for someone like Teoscar Hernandez if it's such a big time sellers market right now? One thing I think we forget sometimes at the trade deadline is how little teams get in return for players who are going to be free agents, particularly on the offensive mm-hmm. side, because because you need a perfect fit. Now, maybe that perfect fit is the New York Yankees because they're, they're outfield right now, and I know it's with Aaron Judge out, but their outfield right now is it's horrifyingly bad. Like the, the guys they're thrown out there on a daily basis, it's not befitting of a team with a 250 million plus dollar payroll. And and the Yankees have shown whether it's going after Andrew Benintendi or Joey Gallo, a willingness to, to pay a lot and to be aggressive when it comes to deadline moves. But by and large that, uh, you know, that, that trend where you get something really substantive back uh, for a free agent position player, like it, it's rare. It, it, it frankly doesn't happen much at all. Mm. And so uh, it's it's one of those things where I think if you're the Mariners and so few others are selling, yeah, then at that point you almost just have to do it to take advantage of the market and try and pick around at the edges and improve your team elsewhere. But uh, this team offensively without say Oscar Hernandez right now, Mike, it, like it'll be a problem. The pro- uh, yeah, offense is the problem already. You know, the, but, they 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 have been an offensively challenged team for seventy games. Like that that is that is not something that you look at and say, oh hey, you know, if I'm going to stick around, then I'm going to trade one of my best hitters. Have you? Uh, are you a draft guy? draft guy in terms of I mean, like how much time do you spend on the draft it's hard to be an expert on everything so are you somebody that spends a lot of time kind of prepping for the draft thinking about the the baseball draft or is it something where once it's happened you sort of figure out you know who's who and what's happened probably somewhere in between i have to i have to be familiar enough and conversant in it because uh i'm i'm the sideline reporter for the draft oh okay so I, I need to know who the guys are. I need to have background on them. Um, I need to have a sense of uh, what their skills are. So, uh, All right. Yeah, so is this a good draft? draft? This is a great draft. Because the Mariners got three picks in the top, what, 30 or so? I think they pick at 22, 29, and 30, something like that. Is this a good year yeah, to have those know, three picks? You know, it would be awesome if you could trade draft picks. I know. It's so stupid that you can't trade draft it's picks. It's ridiculous. It is just one of those bizarre baseball things. And by the way, we're going to talk some big picture baseball here in a second. But is this a good year for the Mariners to have three good picks? It's a really good year for the Mariners to have three picks. I mean, you you know, 
you look at, uh, there's a kid named Thomas White, um, who was a freshman in high school, left-hander throwing 90-something. And he's actually stayed healthy and has been effective. And Thomas White is going to be like a bottom-of-the-first-round type guy. There's just, it's a deep, it, it is not just a stacked and loaded draft at the top where the top three college players and Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens, and Wyatt Langford are probably going 1-1 any other year, where Skeens is being compared to Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg by uh, our draft analyst, Kylie McDaniel, just in terms of pro-ready college pitchers. Mm -hmm. Like, those were the last two in the same uh, sort of bracket, stuff-wise and dominance-wise, as Skeens. And... Cruz right now has like a 68-game-on-base streak going on. And LSU's this monster team. And Langford is, you know, Langford is built like Mike Trout. He's like 6'1", 235, and uh, can run and can hit monster home runs. And uh, and then you've got some high school bats. There's more college arms. Like, it's a really deep draft, and I'm sure the Mariners are feeling very good about where they are right now because guys who are going to be going in the 20s, in any other year would probably be in like twelve to fifteen range. It's really great to hear. I mean that's that's just awesome. So so let me so then you know you kind of bring up this, some of that big picture baseball stuff, and this conversation probably warrants more than the three or so minutes we have for it. But with everything that went on with the A's over the course of the last week or so, and then more specifically with Rob Manfred just coming out and. Uh, am I am I crazy? Am I just jumping on the bandwagon by saying that he was insulting and arrogant for no reason whatsoever to the Oakland fans? I thought that it was Rob Manfred's worst public performance since he went on with Carl Ravitch and called the World Series trophy a piece of metal. And that's saying something because the time in between we've had COVID and a lockout. It was awful. I, like, I, I'm just listening to it, and, and you know, I don't understand. Why is it so hard to just not be a jerk in that situation? As somebody who's often considered to be a jerk, maybe it is challenging. I don't know. I, I should probably take some of my own advice. But it sure seemed like that was a, a, a spot for, for being conciliatory. And instead, Absolutely. he went in exactly the opposite direction. It really is... I don't know. I know he works for the owners, so that must be yeah, what that's, they that's want. What, you know what? That's no. That's that's not one thing. That's the thing. It, it's very simple. Uh, Rob Manfred is a well-paid flak jacket. So why are they okay and, with this Oakland situation? Uh, they're okay with it because they all. And I, when I say they, I mean owners. Owners believe that if they were in the same situation as John Fisher they would, by and large, do the exact same thing. Um, they, they look at the fact that this has been going on for 25 years now. Seriously, back in 2000, the A's were suggesting moving away from Oakland Coliseum because it wasn't fulfilling their needs. And so there's been two-plus decades where they have tried to go and get a stadium, most of the time in the East Bay area. And... Uh, you know, they, I, I think there's a, a sense of frustration. And honestly, some of it is warranted. Like some of the uh, some of the red tape politically that the A's have tried to cut through uh, has been triple wrapped. And they've had an impossible time trying to do so. But 
that's politics, man. Like you need to understand when you own an entity, an asset, like a major league baseball team, of course they're going to try to squeeze you. Of course they're going to try and get the best deal they can. Yeah. You know what that's called? Business. <laughs> business? Yeah. And, no, kidding. And, and business turned personal for John Fisher. And now he's feeling pressured by a, a public that sees exactly what he did, which is run the same playbook we saw in Montreal and run the same playbook we saw in Major League. And let me tell you, Mike, anytime you're copying a movie to try and run your business, usually not a great thing to do. As long as they start taking off pieces of John Fisher's clothing, uh, you know, a little piece did by you, piece after did every you, win. Did you, did you see at the reverse boycott they had one of those? Oh, no, like, I didn't record. see that. Oh, yeah. It was great. It was <laughs> great. Funny. Jeff, great as always. Thank you, sir. Uh, appreciate you going a few minutes early today, and we'll do it again next week back at our regular time. Thanks, man. Hey, it seems very quiet today. I, I know. Why. Yeah, yeah. We, we need some energy in this building. Oh, there's KJ. We need Wright some energy here. in this building right here, right now. <laughs> you are, you are right. It is very quiet in here. Gloomy. <laughs> Everybody walking with their heads down to the Mariners not playing well. I didn't know KJ was going to come join us, but Jeff, there you go. We'll meet KJ Wright. How's it going? Hi, KJ. <laughs> pleasure, man. I, I hope my energy wasn't bad. I tell you, come on. And no, yours was good. No, I'm talking building. about everyone else. Yours was good. Everyone, the, else. everyone else is, is lacking. Jeff, thank you, man. We'll talk to you next week. There goes Jeff Passon, who joins us generally every Tuesday at 830, and he was kind enough to come in uh, a few minutes early today, as did KJ Wright, and we're going to hit him with three good football questions right now. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saul. All right, KJ's in the building. What's up, man? What's good? What's good? How are you? Doing well. All right, well, we got you for a little over an hour. I got a ton of stuff for you, which we'll do at 8 o'clock, but thanks for uh, first answering three football questions in place of Brock. We'll start with uh, a real significant football question about Mm -hmm. these Seahawks. We've heard that they need a nose tackle in this new scheme. How important is it to truly have a real nose tackle and do they have one currently on this roster it is vital when you talk about three four defenses when you look at the history of three four defenses nose tackles you got tony saragusas the vince wilforks the holodi nadas when you step on that football field you see that big man six foot five three hundred and fifty plus pounds you don't want to run the ball in the middle you need that guy do the seahawks have it they don't but we can find one, maybe in free agency, maybe when someone gets cut. Yeah, but we th- definitely need that. There does seem like there are often guys like that around. And maybe not Vince Wilfork, maybe not mm-hmm. Haloti Nada, but you played with a Taba Rubin, right? Would, would you put <laughs> yeah. him in that category? No. Not big no, enough. No, 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 no. Ru- Rubin was small. I would put Big Al there. Big Al. And I would put Tony McDaniel. Not the nose tackle. Tall. He, he's he's tall, but he's like tall and thin. Right. We've never had never that. Really just had it because it was mostly a four that three. Big wall. Yeah, we always had a four three defense. Yeah. And so with this game, um, right now we have the rookie there, but we need that big monster. Mm. like there's no inside running plays that you're going to run against us. Mm. Run the ball in the perimeter, but in these trenches, it's a no go. All right. Question number two. Which was a better feeling? Winning the NFC Championship game over the Niners 2013 season or coming back to win the NFC Championship game over the Packers the next year? Not even close. 
2014 Green Bay Packers. Really? All day, every day. Wow, I didn't. I, you know what? I actually thought you were going to say the other way. Why? Because, first of all, in the 2013 game, I didn't play. <laughs> I guess that's true. I had like six plays. I broke my foot. I'm like, this game is terrible. I was watching from the sidelines. Like, I want to be on the football field, but I'm like 20% healthy. So, KJ, just stay on the sideline. But um, that 2014 game took me through so many emotions. Frustrated, mad, angry. We're about to lose. Oh, my God, we're coming back. We're about to win the game. Hail Mary to Jermaine Curse walk-off. We're going to our second Super Bowl in a row. Hands down, 2014, Green Bay Packers. Fun, fun moment. I actually went and watched that highlight yesterday. Really? I watched just watching that. Everyone the whole game just, or just the end of just it? Just the end of it. Um, just ran onto the football field, celebrating, crying, hugging each other. Curse had had Mike, such a terrible game leading up to that, too. He did. I mean, like he had like three interceptions bounce off his hands. I mean, he had an awful game. Catch the ball, bro. And then Some he could a little high. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying he was like 100% at fault, but they did bounce <laughs> off his hands. Yeah. And then he just completely redeems himself by being wide open in that moment. It's pretty amazing what happened. Pretty pretty, pretty amazing. Just, um, just exemplifies never give up. Always the next play. Keep fighting. Keep battling. The game is never over until it's over. 2014 Green Bay Packers. Did you, you know Chris Matthews was going to come up with that ball? No. <laughs> Did you know that what? a couple weeks later he was going to have a ridiculous Super Bowl? Who recovers an onside kick? Well, now no, no. one. <laughs> Occasionally, then. Yeah. Funny. All right. Question number three. All right. Flip the script on that. Other than the obvious answer of what happened two weeks after that great moment, what mm-hmm. was your second most frustrating loss in a Seahawks uniform? I never had. I never had frustrating losses. The most frustrating thing that happened to me on the football field was losing to a backup quarterback. That was that was always the worst. Every time I stepped on the football field and I saw that there was a backup, I fully expected to dominate. I fully expected to, to win the ball game, but I lost to um, Colt McCoy. Remember Colt McCoy? Oh, yeah. Teddy Bridgewater was a backup the year that the Saints came in. I'm like, and these guys beat us. Austin Davis... You remember Austin Davis I with know. the Rams? Yeah. We go to St. Louis. We look at this little short number nine quarterback. Didn't little... he end up coming here like the next year or a few years later? Yeah, yeah. and he was coaching. He yeah. was coaching the Seahawks. Hands down the most frustrating <laughs> thing on the football field. Losing to a backup quarterback. When I watched film, I was like, oh, the quarterback's not in there. It's about to be a walk in the park. Did you lose to Matt Schaub? No. He threw for like a 1,000 yards, but you won. Oh, so I played Matt Schwab, Schwab twice when he was with the Texans, yeah. when Sherm got the interception, and then with later the, with the Falcons. The Falcons. That was I think weird. You, you didn't lose to him? Nah. Are you sure? They came back on us. Okay, but they, you didn't lose. What? What were you? Was that twenty? I don't know. That was a weird year. Is that the year? That, is that the game where Sherm got upset on the sideline? No, that was okay. Matt. That was Matt Ryan. Okay, Matt That's Ryan. When the <laughs> good to hear. Yeah, yeah when the Matt Schaub the... interceptions were uh, Sherm lost a shoe. Right. Yes. Back. Yes. That's true. That's what was the other time we played Matt Schaub? We played the Falcons. It was like twenty. He threw for like four hundred yards. Oh, yeah. The Falcons <laughs> for, I think like it was twenty four years. Twenty sixteen through. Don't bring it up to Brock because as frustrated as you are losing to those backup quarterbacks, Brock's so frustrated how much money all those guys have made in their career My versus goodness. what he made in his. So My don't goodness. don't bring up those backups to What's Brock. What's that quarterback out of um, Missouri? Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel. 
paid. Yeah. Set for life. <laughs> Barely played two games in his career. Uh, that, 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 that really bothers me. That is today's Blue 88. KJ, it's good to see you, man. We, you uh, it's been a while since we've had you in here. We got all kinds of off-season conversation. And, you know, there can be some silliness to the off-season, right? As you're kind of mm-hmm. dealing with lists and, you know, who can do what. It's a lot of projection. But uh, the Seahawks have kind of put themselves in a position where they are an interesting conversation right now. You, oh, you happy with where they're at? I, I love where they're at. From from where we thought they were, whether a year ago, two years ago, it was like three wins, four wins, rebuild. Um, it's going to take some years to come by. And these teams, they're a playoff team. They got better this offseason and free agency. They got better in the draft and back-to-back years. Coach Carroll, he has – this is Coach Carroll's defense now. Mm-hmm. Last year, Coach Carroll, he was, he was learning, like, what is this 3-4 thing? What is Sean Desai going to do? Now he has full control, full understanding of what's going to happen on this football field. The plan of attack on offense, the plan of attack on defense. I have my personnel. This team's confidence, I love where their confidence is at. It's just a matter of getting certain guys healthy. Like, they're still not even all the way healthy. Get certain guys healthy, guys at full strength back in the building. It's all over this football team. All right, well, then I got to ask you, I I, I threw this in my email to you last night. The Goldilocks zone, I'm going to explain to you what it means to be in the Goldilocks zone and whether or not in that way the Seahawks are mimicking what you guys did at the beginning of the Legion of Boom era. We'll do that coming up next. We've got a full hour with KJ Wright. Don't go anywhere. It's Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710salesports.com.